Distributed systems are a complex topic. There's abundant research about it, but sometimes it's hard for a beginner to know where to start. My guest, Alvaro Videla, is a core developer for RabbitMQ and a distributed systems blogger, and he joins us to explain some of the core concepts of distributed systems. Alvaro, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hello, Jeff, and thank you for, for having me. So you wrote a blog post recently called What We Talk About When We Talk About Distributed Systems. Why did you write this? So um, I've been following the distributed systems uh, community, let's say, since quite a while, mostly because I, I've been programming in Erlang since 2009, probably, or maybe earlier. And... It's a community where there are many distributed system engineers. I remember my first conference in London about uh, Erlang. And there were the original developers from Basho, for example, the one that made React. Mm. And they were the guys that built the Akamai uh, CDN. So for me, coming like a total beginner to this conference was already pretty amazing. And I was following them. I remember where they introduced React and... They have all this eventual consistency and whatnot. So since then, I kind of started following the, this community. Uh, you probably know Kyle Kingsbury, Afir, or he yeah. writes about Jepsen and tests many systems like RabbitMQ, Elasticsearch, and so on. Yeah, he brutally tests them. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just by following his, his stuff, people he retweets. Uh, I also know many other engineers like uh, Ines Sombra from Fastly or Katie uh, from from Twitter, and they always posting the blogs and whatnot. So I Katie wanted to know more. Yeah, we we interviewed her. Uh, cool. I mean, I uh, Katie or or Ines? Did you say Katie? Katie McCaffrey? Is that who you're yeah, referring? Yeah, exactly, Katie. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to know more because. Uh, I found this a really interesting topic. I think it's something in particular that, for example, as a RabbitMQ engineer, I should, of course, know. I mean, there are many areas that uh, belong to what is to develop a broker. Many times you are just, let's say, working on the PubSub system and not necessarily on the replication side or whatever. But still, I think it's, it's something worth knowing. But the problem was where to start. Like, I started seeing there are... Books like here, I'm seeing my library behind my monitor. And for example, I found a book from MIT Publishing that says the title is Programming Distributed Computing Systems. Cool. I say, okay, I can buy this book, learn a bit. <laughs> when, I, when I get the book, <clears throat> it was actually about programming languages for different kind of abstractions on distributed systems, like... Uh, they introduced the lambda calculus, then the pi calculus, then the actor model, uh, which I knew from Erlang, kinda, uh, and the IO automata, which is the one that Nancy Lynch uh, uses in her books, and so on. But the book was not about programming distributed systems, if you know what I mean. It was just these are these models here, but they are not really going to help you at all if you wanna let's say, build a real system like Rabbit or, or React or whatever. So I was always wondering, okay, now there is this other book, which let me read the title, Distributed Algorithms for Message, message Passing Systems. Okay, I work in Erlang, Distributed Systems, Message Passing, let's, let, let's buy this book. 
And the book has lots of algorithms. It talks about vector clocks, sequential consistency, atomicity, whatnot. But at the end of the book, nearly like the last page, the author, the author mentions that the whole book doesn't consider faulty cases. So you have a full book of algorithms about the happy path, which is really cool for learning, but you end up, you end up again with some knowledge that doesn't really apply on the... Yeah, kind of the, ironic, because distributed systems is all about faults. Exactly. But <laughs> what is really important to not dismiss this kind of research sure. is that they are giving you the fundamentals. Right. And... Um, so I kept learning by the same author. He recommends some other books. I, I bought one, for example. Let me, again, read the title. Uh, for example, one book here says, Fault-Tolerant Agreement in Synchronous Message Passing Systems. Okay? Now, there is fault-tolerance, so probably there are faults, and this algorithm algorithms tolerate those faults. That's cool. Then the thing says agreement, that's consensus. Yeah, I hear that word a lot, so probably I need to learn about consensus is, let's say. In synchronous message passing system, message passing systems, Erlang fits the bill, and then synchronous. What does synchronous and asynchronous mean? I learned right. that it's completely different from what you will get, let's say, from the Node.js community, if to name so, one. So what you're getting at is that there's all these concepts, all these different topics, and it's really hard to know where to begin. It's really hard to draw a path from point A to point B, where point A is no knowledge about distributed systems, and point B is enough knowledge to get things done, to have conversations, to be effective. I think this is a fairly common problem among programmers who want to get into distributed systems. So... You know, this post that you, this really good blog post you had that, that I'll put in the show notes, it begins with, um, you know, a quote, well, the talk that you gave that goes along with this blog post, it begins with a quote from Leslie Lamport, who is commonly referred to as the father of distributed systems. Yeah. And the quote is, a distributed system is one in which the failure of a computer you did not even know existed can render your own computer unusable. And I think this is, a, this is such an interesting quote because... Many programmers who are getting involved in distributed systems for the first time, they're like, holy smokes, I'm not even used to programming beyond a single machine. And now I have to start thinking about multiple machines of which one or more may fail. So why did you begin your talk with this quote? Mostly because it's kind of the canonical definition of distributed systems. It gives you an idea of the problem where you're getting at, that you're getting into, but at the same time, what does it say? <laughs> I mean, I'm not disrespecting Leslie Lamport. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think, who am I to judge his research? Uh, but I'm saying that, yeah, everybody, like, I've been to many conferences about Erlang, for example, and many uh, people just put this quote out there. And, okay, what do I do with that? <laughs> you know, for me, it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. There are all these problems that can happen. Computers can crash. Cool, but how do? what does it mean to me? Okay. I'm, so I'm somebody that wants to get it started and I should see this quote. Yes, I, I get it. But so getting from that quote to actual applications, that's the root of the title where you say, what exactly. are we actually talking about when we talk about distributed systems? I get that there is this quote, 
that's an abstraction of all these different things we could be talking about, but what are we actually talking about? Exactly. And, and for example, uh, there is a great blog post. Uh, I don't remember the name of the author, but it's quoted in my blog post in, about uh, the FLP impossibility, the Fisher, Lynch, Patterson, I think, are the authors. That there is no consensus in a synchronous system with one, one faulty process, basically. Mm -hmm. Anyway, is, people, is, sorry, people, you will you will learn or read online that people will tell you read about FLP, you should read about Paxos, you should know about this and that. This happened to me, for example, when I met an engineer of a very big company in a conference in Russia, and I was implementing the whole PubSub, I mean not the whole PubSub system of Rabbit, but I was doing some thing that had more to do with algorithm related to string matching, uh, pattern matching, completely unrelated to distributed systems, but which will make RabbitMQ deliver message pretty fast. But this person told me, you should know this, you should know that, you should, you should, you should. Okay, I should, maybe, yeah, but why should I? That's my question, you know? And if, if you tell me, you must learn about FLP, okay, but what does it even mean, FLP? And, and as I was saying before, you, you read the word asynchronous, and asynchronicity in distributed systems has nothing to do with what you will understand, for example, from Node.js, which is like a common example today of asynchronous, asynchronous programming, where you have like callbacks when you send some um, requests, and instead of waiting for the request, you, you keep doing things, and at some point you get the data back from the request, right? That's well, I, I will understand versus a synchronous system. When you do the request, you block. When you get the data back, you keep moving, right? Those uh, concepts are totally unrelated to the meaning this word, these two words have in distributed systems. So how can you understand FLP, which is a result that applies to asynchronous systems, when you don't know what the word asynchronous means. So we'll get into these different terms, asynchronicity, FLP. I do want to discuss these things, but I want to give a little more of a motivation for why people should care. So there's a quote from Mark Cavage where he says, face it, you are building a distributed system. Is everyone building a distributed system these days? Look, I was actually going to get there because I recently I got uh, the privilege of seeing an early draft of, of uh, thesis from Peter Alvaro, a researcher in distributed systems. And one quote from his paper says, uh, the relatively recent accessibility of large-scale computing resources, for example, the public cloud, and proliferation of reusable data management components like NoSQL stores, data processing frameworks, and so on, have created a crisis. All programmers must learn to be distribu distributed programmers. I think that's for when I read that from the from this paper was like a hit me in my head. Let's say, uh, and people say like, for example, if you do web development, you need to synchronize the cache in your browser to whatever database you have in the back. That is a distributed system problem already. You need to even replicate my MySQL and see if just to name one data store and, and make sure consistency is there or what are the problems that will happen if you do master-master replication or I don't know, whatever. There will be all these kind of problems all the time in, in, in programming, whether we want to admit it or not whether we are really going to implement some consensus algorithms or leave this problem to somebody else, 
to understand the possibilities and impossibilities, are th I think, are related to understanding distributed systems. That we have all these, like like this paper say, all these non-SQL stores, uh, queues, some queues offering um, one guarantees versus others. Like I know competitors of RabbitMQ, competitors to give them a name, other queues in, in, the, in the space that they claim to be super fast or non-centralized, but then they send duplicates to, to users. So as a user, you need to understand, okay, cool, there is no central server, there is no single point of failure, let's say, but at the same time, what guarantees are going out of the window because I choose to not have a, a master, for example. And even having a master, you can do some high availability architecture decisions to not have a single point of failure anyway. But the point is, you need to understand what you're getting into, like... They are, every vendor will advertise that their system is better. Like RabbitMQ will say we are better. Kafka will say they are better. <laughs> uh, NSQ will say they are better. Everybody will claim to be better. Okay, but that's nice. I understand you need to sell your thing. But uh, what am I, am I gaining as a user and what am I sacrificing as a user by choosing your product? And if you opt out and say, I'm not a distributed systems programmer, there's no way you can audit which one of these is the best solution. It will be hard, but at the same time, I think you, I mean, you don't know which things will not be guaranteed at all by certain system because of the architectural decisions of that particular system. It's... Um, for example, people wanted sharding in RabbitMQ. I implemented sharding like a plugin for doing that. But I want also now let's say it's faster. We cannot. We don't need to block on a single CPU, whatever. But we lost ordering of messages. You know what I mean? Right. And, and Kafka, for example, offered the same. And yeah, we are super fast. But then where is the order of messages in the stream that I may need for this particular use case that my application company needs so, so it's so this, very yeah this is so it's so interesting because i did uh an interview with with uh nehan arcade from from kafka recently and um you know there's certain things where like i'm you know i i don't do a lot of programming in distributed well i i haven't written a single line of code that interacts with the kafka application so because i'm not an expert uh in in that there are certain things where you know where I'm having a conversation with her and I can't say um, what it, you know what is the problem with X in Kafka because I don't understand the system well enough so perhaps uh, and and so that prevents me from from really getting into you know uh, a dissection of like for example how Kafka would compare to to RabbitMQ so um, <clears throat> I think I think the motivation at this point for needing to know distributed systems concepts. Everybody needs to know some distributed systems concepts, whether it's early in their programming career or eventually. Um, so, you know, I'd really like to get into discussing some of these core concepts because you go over these in your blog post, you really enumerate them, and, and it felt a lot like the distributed systems class I took in college. So the first concept that I want to discuss is timing models. There are several 
timing models in distributed systems. And you, you mentioned some of these, and I'd like to go through these. You, you, we have the synchronous model, the asynchronous model, and the semi-synchronous model. Could you define each of these? So in the synchronous model, it's that everything that happens in the system can be timed. Let's, so you know exactly how long it takes for a message to, to reach another node. I mean, just to backtrack a bit, if we are talking about distributed system, we talk about different entities, which are nodes, processors, however you want to call them, that are trying to cooperate to reach a, a common task. It's not the same as parallel programming, where many nodes are doing something uh, in parallel that not necessarily contribute to the final goal, let's say. You can have many processors resizing images, let's say, in parallel. That is that not per se what the literature will consider to be a distributed system, to be clear. Uh, in a distributed system, these nodes are all working together to reach some uh, uh, solution. And because of that, they need to share data. They need to to arrive at some kind of common state in the system, but they don't know what's happening on the other nodes. That's just to, to be clear what we are talking about. And in a synchronous uh, model, we know exactly how long it takes for a message to reach the other node, how long a um, node takes to execute one step of the algorithm. And usually these steps are taken in rounds when we talk about the synchronous model. So, for example, an advantage here would be that I know the network has a latency of, let's say, one second for a message to reach the other node. The other node has uh, one second to process the, the step, whatever that is, and one second to reply back. If after three seconds I don't get a reply, I know it will never arrive. Mm -hmm. I know for sure that the other node crashed, it's down, the network is broken, whatever. But I know there is a problem in the system and I, and I can be sure there is a problem. Because of that, there are many algorithms, let's say, that can be implemented. Like, uh, we could talk later about this, but like a perfect failure detector. Because for what I just explained, you can perfectly know when some uh, process has failed. The problem with this model is that it doesn't re really resemble reality. Except for probably a real-time system, like let's say the components in a car, when there are very specific uh, time constraints on, on processors uh, executing a step of an algorithm, in more, in more like uh, uh, programming like we do in the internet, let's say, when you have a NoSQL database and let's say Rabbit, Kafka, whatever in the background, in this case, we have no idea about these timing uh, constraints. A message, for example, a server could be completely down and that's why it's not replying or, or it's taking just long or the network is saturated. We, there are all these things that we need to consider. So because of these reasons, it's like the synchronous model is not really reflecting reality, but it's telling us if the only way to implement a perfect failure detector is with these constraints, that means stop trying to implement one in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's uh, is yeah. the, the good part of these uh, models or, or all these things that in the distributed literature sound like impossibilities or things that, okay, but why should I care about that model that is not really real, let's say, but because it's trying to tell you, you need all this constraint to implement this particular abstraction. Otherwise, you 
you won't be able. So that's the the gain, let's say, from learning about the synchronous model. Yeah. So this is so interesting because a lot of the things I talk about on this podcast, um, I contrast the difference between theory and practice. And this is an example where theory backs you into certain realizations about how the real world works. So it's it's an argument in favor of theorizing about things because you theorize about this hypothetical thing and then you say, what would it take to implement? Oh, it's impossible. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's something very important to understand that most algorithms in distributed systems, I will, I will say probably all of them, but I don't want to generalize, <laughs> but they all belong to some model. Like they have a re, uh, what they think the real world is, like, asyn- like completely asynchronous, like the second one, when there are no timing guarantees between messages uh, going from one node to the other. Uh, there are no timing guarantees on how long the node will take to execute the step of the algorithm and how long it will take to the reply to arrive to the original node. So that's like the main difference. Again, this doesn't really reflect the real world because in the real world, we have timing constraints. If you are going to a website and it will infinitely be loading, you will probably close the browser. <laughs> um, and that's the same for a web service. Like now everybody talks about microservices. If some of the microservices is not really responding, uh, then you will consider that it's a, tam- a timeout and uh, send a reply back to the client database and available or whatever it is you do. Um, so we work mostly in a semi-synchronous uh, world in in the sense of of we don't know when replies will arrive, but we put constraints in time saying, okay, I'm willing to wait till a minute or mm. whatever. So that's where the semi-synchronous model came. The point is all the algorithms, they are either in one of these models. So you need to be really sure what you're getting into or or what, like, as I mentioned, the FLP impossibility applies to one of these models, not all of them. So we wouldn't be talking about distributed systems if we didn't talk about failures. What, like, what are the different failure modes of a distributed system? For, for people who are listening who are new to the field of distributed systems, why is the idea of failure and failure detection and, and uh, fault tolerance, why are these different things so important? So depending on the failure mode that is tolerated by the particular algorithm, is what you should expect from the like what what guarantees you get out of the this particular algorithm i don't know like the exact details right now out of my mind but the for example i think uh raft is an algorithm that will tell you that it only support crash stop failures i don't remember exactly or if it's crash recovery sorry for for the imprecision but basically in a crash stop failure it means that in this particular algorithm, the a process when it crashed, it's completely gone. It's not going to execute any more steps uh, wrongly. Let's say like corrupt the database, corrupt the state, give bad replies or anything. When let's say there is an exception, the the algorithm crashes. End of story. So. Uh, in the crash recovery, the process may crash and they can come back again, let's say, from 
state that was saved to the file system, for example. Uh, in a crash top model, there are the algorithms where processes come back, but because we are talking about crash top, they are considered to be new processes, not the same one because, they, let's say, they don't recover state. Or sometimes when you have groups of, of processes, they can be dynamic or, or, or static. In a static uh, group of processes, when they crash, they are not coming back because they are static. It's not like in a dynamic uh, model where they will be back, for example, or or new ones will join the system or whatever. Anyway, so well, this this idea of of crash stop versus maybe partial failures. I mean, this this has come up in other conversations I've had on this show. I, I did an interview with Fanjin Wang who. Uh, designed the Druid distributed database. And he said that the worst type of failure is actually a partial failure where your system slows down and it's somewhat non-deterministic why that has happened. And I think that is what you're describing in contrast to the the, the full stop uh, crash failure. Is that accurate? I'm not exactly sure what the other person meant by by partial failure. But in the crash stop system, you are assured that the fail node is not intervening anymore in the in the system. Let's say, mm. so you you have that uh, assurance. And that I think node is sorry that node is considered down. Let's say by a failure detector or whatever. End of story. We don't need to to contact it anymore. To if we are going to vote to do leader election, let's say that node doesn't participate anymore. Is that one of the advantages of Erlang where, where Erlang will be like really insistent about if something fails, like you kill the process? Mm, I don't think uh, it's related. Oh, that's in, totally unrelated. In, in Erlang, you could implement any of these things. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure it's, it's related because okay. you can have a process that crashes and comes back, then it's probably doing crash recovery. I mean, for example, in the case of omission faults, which is the third one, like we have crash stop, crash recovery, then omission faults. Uh, there, the process is uh, omitting to do certain things, like receiving messages, for example, or uh, replying messages. So you can have a process that is not replying to the to the other peers in the network, in the system, but is receiving all the requests. So, for example, if you have a cache, this process that is having omission faults in the reply case, it still is up to date because it received all the requests. So you could argue that you can have, as a client, you could ask for the state of the system, and because this process is only omitting replies to the other nodes, but it's not omitting the receiving request, is up to date. So it will reply exactly what the current state of the system is, even though it's not replying to the other nodes in the in the in the system. So you could have this in Erlang, for example. Right. No, it's not related to what you use as a programming model or system. It's more about what we have this failure. What happens with the algorithm? Will it sure. keep doing progress or will it stop? That's the thing. And for example, in the arbit arbitrary failure mode, the Byzantine because Byzantine. Byzantine faults. Byzantine. Thanks. I never know how to pronounce this in English. <laughs> <laughs> so in the Byzantine faults, uh, 
everything can happen here in the distributed system. Like nodes can omit uh, replies. They can actually take all the requests and reply to all of them, but don't really persist state to the to the file system. For example, you could have a, a an intruder in the system that is like uh, it's all usually called an adversary. That is um, assuming that everything is correct, but it's actually logging what is happening on the system to a third party. For example, there are many things that can happen in a Byzantine failure. Uh, and each of these systems have the the particularity of, of how many uh, sorry each of these failure modes specify how many surviving nodes you need in order to keep doing progress. So if you have a crash top uh, system, I think with a majority, I'm not entirely sure, but I think with a majority is enough to keep progressing in the system. That's why you will have all these concepts of quorums and saying, out of five nodes, if if three are okay, then we can keep going and so on. Right. But in a Byzantine kind of failure, you need way more nodes that are correct in order to make progress. Sorry? Is it three n plus one? I think that's the that's the number. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So so we, I mean we should move towards that side of the conversation, consensus and quorums and all that. But I think before we get there, maybe we should define the tr- the common trade off in distributed systems of liveness versus safety. Could you could you identify these trade offs and talk about why they are often in conflict? So the thing with safety and, and, and liveness is actually that the uh, the algorithms, they will give you this or that guarantees in either of these two uh, parameters, let's say. Uh, safety would be, as, as the slide says, I don't know if people is following this, uh, that safety specifies that some bad things does not happen during execution. So in an algorithm, you will know that uh message queues like the where the communication channels are FIFO or FIFO, they are first in, first out. So you know this order will be respected. And if you have a system where this order cannot be assured, then this algorithm is not going to apply there. Uh, so in the safety sense, if telling you some bad thing does not happen means we will not reorder messages, for example. So, you know that particular algorithm. I think, for example, Raft, if the leader committed the log, this prefix of the log will be shared among all the peers. So, you know that's for sure. So, if at some point that leader crashed, you know the, that the prefix that's being committed is in all the other peers in the system. So, that's a, a safety uh, guarantee that that you can know for sure like okay i know if if data was replicated even if it crashed at least two other nodes in the system let's say will have it something like that and liveness is a way of of telling you by definition a good things happen during execution or in other words uh the algorithm under this condition will keep doing uh, progress 
for example, some, algor some algorithm says uh, uh, a node will eventually deliver the message. You don't know when it will happen, but the algorithm assumes this will happen, which is also very important to understand that if you have, I don't know, the data center set on fire, or <laughs> so I don't know what, then the destination process eventually delivers a message that won't happen. So... You know, they, there are these liveness things that tell you when the algorithm uh, will make progress. That's right. Okay. So, so to summarize these, you describe safety as, quote, communication links should not invent messages out of thin air. And then you describe liveness as, quote, a destination process eventually delivers the message. So, um, you know, we, sh we should get into to talking about FLP, uh, which is... Um, Fisher Lynch Patterson. It's this important paper. It's called "Impossibility of Distributed Consensus with One Faulty Process." Why is this paper so important? So I think this paper is from 80, 1985, when all the research on distributed system was kind of uh, growing, and and they were trying to. Like, for example, do different kind of consensus algorithms and there are different kind of failure modes and whatnot. And what this paper came to prove that before was kind of um, uh, suspicion, but not really a proof, that if you have one faulty process in an asynchronous system, then you cannot have consensus. Why is important? Because if some researcher at that time or even today is trying to solve consensus for a distributed uh, system in an asynchronous model, that won't be solvable. But there were people, not because they are uh, uh, not smart or anything, no, they were, it was the, the status of research back then, some people were trying to solve the problem. It's like, I don't know, somebody comes and says, look, that mathematical uh, problem has no solution and here's the proof that you will not be able to solve it. Then all the other person that were trying to solve it, okay, thanks. But uh, it's not that they were doing something wrong, let's say. They, well, they just didn't have a proof that it was not uh, uh, solvable, right? And this, this FLP is, is the same. They, 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 they managed to prove that this consensus with one faulty processing and a synchronous system is not uh, doable or solvable. So many other researchers kind of moved on <laughs> and stopped investing resources in, 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 in coming up with algorithms that at the end of the day will not work. And so it's important because yeah. they saved a lot of researcher time. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's a very fundamental result in, in this sense because consensus is everywhere in distributed systems. When, sure. Because you, at some point, you need to agree about the order of messages, about uh, committing a transaction. So maybe people were not really trying to solve consensus per se, but they were trying to implement a database that will survive the data center being set on fire, let's say, whatever. I mean, this sounds like not uh, like hypothetical cases, but... Back in the days, there was a lot of research related to aviation, like to how to schedule airplanes, flights, and so on, how to control fly, uh, planes in the air, for example. And maybe somebody needed a system that will be 100% uh, consistent and will not give a, a wrong answer about the position of an airplane or, or, I don't know, something like that. So and if they we, were if trying... We... 
Sorry, yeah. go ahead. They were trying to solve this problem and by implementing a database, a system that will take care of, of solving that thingy to not kill people, actually, because uh, the aviation is very crucial in our daily lives, I mean, in, in this world. And with this paper, you could say, sorry, but that problem you're trying to solve won't be solvable. You need to find a way to go around it or, or uh, put... Um, safety measures here and there because in this direction you are trying to go you will not reach to a solution that's what is important besides okay. saving so, researcher time let's say <laughs> right okay so there are actual i mean i get it there are actual conclusions but so if if we have one faulty process in a system can we make any guarantees about safety or liveness i think this is very interesting because it's another paper by um, an author called Aguilera, Marcos Aguilera. Maybe in English you say Aguilera, but I think in Spanish, <laughs> in Spanish would be Aguilera. Uh, and he mentioned that there is a lot of confusion around impossibility results in distributed systems. Because in, in, the, in this FLP paper, first of all, they are talking about a completely asynchronous system, right? So we don't have timeout, for example, which means we don't have failure detectors. So it's, um, it's an impossibility in the sense, like, if I tell you there is no greater number than two, for example, in the integers. And you will tell me, well, okay, you probably should go and get some math lesson again, right? <laughs> and, but if I tell you, wait, 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 I'm just talking about the set of integers one and two. There is no greater number than two. Then, okay, under those constraints, I'm, I'm right, right? And this is what the FLP is kind of doing. It's putting a lot of um, uh, constraints on the system. For example, they say, we assume that the message system is reliable. It delivers all messages correctly and exactly once. Yeah, right, right? I mean, in the real world, it's probably not like that. But even with all these constraints, like messages are delivered exactly once and, and the, the, there is no reordering and whatnot, you won't be able to solve it. Unless you'd later introduce timeouts, like with failure detectors were introduced to solve this problem, for example, and to actually have consensus, because uh, today we know there is Paxos, there is Raft, there is Zav from Zookeeper. There are many consensus algorithms which are used in the industry. So it's not like you cannot solve the problem. What they are saying is under these conditions from the paper, under... Uh, if you have an asynchronous model, Aguilera explains that you ha may have... Um, a scheduling of processors, which is very unfair. So it can happen, what, what I think is they prove in the paper, that a processor is never scheduled, so it will never do progress. But he said, even in the real world, maybe really um, you have to have really bad luck for this to happen to you. Okay, but so... If you, sorry, if you need an algorithm to be for sure proven to work... Because at the end of the day, if you have an airplane, let's say you want to know that you are not going to kill people, you need to have a proof that it will work. And with FLP, they are telling you, no, they can happen that you are really unlucky and the stars are pointing in the wrong direction and you will have this wrong scheduling and it will fail. So 
it's, it's kind of in, in that direction going, not in the direction of this is not possible. It's under all this constraint, it's not possible, but later people came with failure detectors and so on, so problem solved, let's say. Okay, so let's let's zoom out a little bit because, I mean, we're talking about distributed consensus. We're talking about impossibility of distributed consensus with one faulty process. And I'm sure there are people listening right now who they've been paying close patient patient attention and they're like, I still, I don't understand distributed systems. Uh, what is this thing they're talking about called consensus? So maybe we should zoom out a bit. What is distributed consensus and why is it so important? Perhaps I approach this in the incorrect order, but we should we should cover that topic a little bit. So consensus is a problem of agreeing. It's an agreement problem, basically. Like, should we commit a transaction, for example? Uh, like, you meet with your friends on the train station and the train just stops. You don't see your friend. The, op- the gates are op- opened. The train is departing. And should I get in or not? Where are they? Maybe your friend get inside the train and, and you also get inside the train. You don't see them. You go out. While, while you were out, your friend didn't come out, but then they come out. And then, you know, like the, it can happen all this timing uh, uh, problem that we don't know what the other person is going to decide, let's say. This is kind of what's happening in distributed systems. Are you ready to commit this data to the file system? Yes? No? Uh, I just crashed. Did the other processor crashed? I mean, there are all these kind of uh, questions that consensus algorithms are trying to solve, depending on the, again, on the model and whatnot, is how many processes can fail, blah, blah, blah. But uh, all these agreement problems, like, for example, the order of messages. Sometimes you really need that messages are delivered in certain particular order and applied to a, a system in that order, like when you do when like what Kafka call log shipping or or what Sab is doing the the Zookeeper algorithm or Raft, you need to know you have a like for example a state machine that is applying uh, operations, and it needs to apply them in one specific order. So to do that in a distributed system, you need to agree because the 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 network for example can uh, have delays. So maybe my processor, my computer received all five transactions so far, I mean, five requests so far, but the computer on the other room only received three of them. And which are them? Are they, did they arrive in order or not? And so on. The consensus algorithm will try to ensure that uh, when we commit, let's say, one operation, we all commit, let's say, the first one, then the second one, then the third one, and so on. So it's right. mostly agreement. How to agree that we should do something or not? Got it. Yeah, and uh, so the the properties of consensus are termination, validity, agreement, and uniform agreement. When when you've been learning about distributed systems, were were either of these properties particularly hard for you to understand? I think if you go to the books that present them. Mm, they are not that hard. Maybe the the language is too dry, <laughs> could be. But, for example, ter- um, termination means that all the processes will uh, eventually decide something, some value. That's it. 
It's like uh, we have an election to for president. Everybody has to vote. You know that by, I don't know, in my country we vote on Sundays. And let's say the polls end at 5 p.m. You know that by 5 p.m. everybody voted. But that's what uh, termination is kind of telling you. At some point, all the correct processes will uh, make a, 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 a reach a decision. The validity is that this this value that was proposed is actually a, a, a value that was present in the system. Like, uh, I cannot vote for a candidate that was not present on the polls, for example. My vote will be null. That will happen in, 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 in I don't know, in my, in my country, that's how the elections work, for example. And agreement is that the correct processes, this is cannot be put in parallel with an election, like a political election, because people don't decide <laughs> the same thing most of the time. <laughs> but uh, in the agreement process, it's like, if everybody, let's say, decides to commit the transaction, all the processes that are correct will have decided the same thing. So to bring the problem to a computer uh, system, do we commit the transaction, yes or no? Those are the proposed values, which is usually in this case called binary consensus because you have yes, no, true, false, one, zero, whatever. Uh, so from these two values, at some point, all the processes that are correct will decide something, that's termination, and the agreement will mean that whatever they decide, commit or don't commit, attack, don't attack, it will be the same. Because otherwise, we don't have consensus. I mean, we don't have an agreement. Absolutely. So, And the uniformity, is this is specifically of uniform consensus, which is more strict because says that processes correct or not decide the same, I'm not sure, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not sure this applies to to real system. I think it is more a theoretical thingy, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Mm, okay. So in your blog post, you wrote about the concept of time, and you said that the idea of simultaneity is something we have to let go. What do you mean by that? Uh, this is actually... Even a very interesting philosophical topic, <laughs> but it's uh, in f if you just think about physics, like what I'm seeing right now, for example, my computer screen. Relativity. It's exactly. It's not really what is happening right now, whatever now means. The light had to travel from my screen to my eyes, process my, my brain, etc. So what does it really mean to be simultaneous? So if you have a network electrons will have to travel through the network. They will have to reach the, I don't know, CPU, whatever, RAM, and, and uh, until we have the actual value that the other processor shared, for example. So what is simultaneity? From the point that, uh, let's say we have an abstraction that sends messages, like in LAMP, process, uh, process ID, send, and some message. From the moment that this was executed, the information is actually old, right? We kind of try to put steps there and, and add some kind of time concept because we are used to this kind of thinking. But actually, it's it's not what is happening in the in the real world. It's, therefore, in distributed systems, there are there are like. Uh, Time as it is, like 
clock time is not really used for for measuring things because it's not, what does it really mean? Like you right. need to well, have vector, like atomic. We use vector clocks for, for example, for or logical clocks or or like you need a way to tell this thing is older than this other one or happened before as they, as they said, but you cannot use like let's say uh, human time. I don't know how to how to call it uh, world clock time. You cannot use that because this means that you have a way to synchronize in uh, CPUs with atomic clocks probably and. And like Justin Sheehy discusses in his uh, paper or article for the for the ACMQ, and who has that? <laughs> who has access to a system like that? Yeah, mostly if you're running, I don't know, an EC2 or whatever, you won't have probably synchronized clocks, or most of the time they will be synchronized. And because of that, you need a way to tell what happened after what happened before, and then you have all these kind of of, of uh, logical clocks like these vector clocks or or the Lamport one, which are just I think an increasing uh, integer. But at least you have a way to tag requests and say this one happened before than this other one. Right. So we have covered a ton of distributed systems topics, and there's many more we could have covered, but <clears throat> the time draws near to close off. So. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Hopefully there's still people listening. I feel like there are, you know, it's like we're going for, there's two audiences. There's like total novice people who have no idea of what a distributed system is. And then there's really experienced distributed systems people. And the, and both of these people have probably dropped off by now. So we're left with like the intermediate distributed systems people. So I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> or maybe there's, maybe there's uh people of the other two, um, sides of the bell curve who are still listening. But in any case, what are the most important lessons to take away from this discussion? I mean, should should people be thinking about the, the actual topics that we were discussing? Or is there some meta lesson about distributed systems and learning about distributed systems that people should be taking away? For me, like lesson zero, let's say, is... Uh, each area of science has its own jargon. And you need to know that to understand what they are saying. I think the asynchronous, synchronous, asynchronous versus synchronous is one great example here. Like consistency, we, don't, we probably don't have time to go there, but there are many meanings of the word consistency. It's just like cup theorem consistency versus acid consistency, they are different things. So... How are we going to understand what the cup theorem means if we come, let's say, from an acid uh, point of view of databases, uh, trying to understand consistency from there? We are we are going to fail because we started with the wrong food, let's say. Uh, so for me, that's very important. Learn at least the ba basic concepts. You don't need to know or like all the failure modes and, and, and quorums, numbers, and whatnot, because you probably don't care about that in, 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 in real life. <laughs> you need to know that at some point, an algorithm will give you some guarantees related to that, and you need to understand what it means to you. But uh, I think the other lesson is that from understanding this theory, not too deep, because as I say in my blog post, we don't have 
uh, forever to learn. We have lives to, to follow as well. Um, it's quite difficult to understand trade-off of, of different distributed systems, like I was mentioning before in the case of queues or databases, like uh, Kyle is explaining on his blog. If we don't know all these things that could be implemented or what it means to be eventually consistent, it happened a lot that people wanted, like, eventual consistency is cool, I just read it on Hacker News, but then <laughs> I need to implement a system that doesn't allow duplicates. Okay, but then how are you going to conciliate that? Like, uh, like as I said before, we this uh, message queue doesn't have any synchronizer. All the nodes are are symmetric. They all have the same power, let's say. Okay, but then they will send you duplicate, probably. You know what I mean? So, uh, getting to the point where we understand what it means, what they are offering us. For me, that's the important lesson. Or Okay, Raft is really cool. Everybody talks about Raft, but then <laughs> maybe I need a system where I need Byzantine, Byzantine uh, fault tolerance. Oh, then maybe Raft is not the way to go. Mm, yeah, you know. So it's it's. It, I I will take it from a problem point of view, and from there get into what I probably need to learn. But I won't. I won't go. Let's say somebody told me read about FLP because. As I think I've been saying through the whole podcast, you will grab the paper, read asynchronous, it won't mean what you think it means, and then the rest of the paper is meaningless, let's say. Mm. So, so perhaps the takeaway is figure out what you're building or what application, what is your end goal, and then you'll have a natural motivation to learn the theoretical necessities that supply you with the knowledge to fulfill that goal. That's great. And, well, and, and and if you will dig into the literature, know about the models. Like these three Tamil models are essential to actually pick the right paper because probably won't be the one you are looking for. Yeah. That's great. Well, uh, Alvaro Videla, thanks for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. It's been really intriguing talking to you about distributed systems. It's been a real trip back into my... Um, my time in school and my academic distributed systems um, courses. No, thanks for, for having me. I mean, for me, it's really, really cool topic to, to discuss, to see different point of views and so on. Absolutely. Absolutely.